previously on Two Star Two Track. It's very obvious that Khan Noonien Singh is the devil. Like, walking out right. of the beacon of light is God. It's the role Shatner was born to play, baby. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, the imagery is fairly on the nose, yeah. Greetings, friends and fellow Questarians! We're here. We're talking about Galaxy Quest. We are two Star Trek. We normally cover Star Trek on this podcast, but, um... I mean, it's like the third best Star Trek movie. I... Yeah, second or third, depending on the day for me. Well, my name is Ryan. I am your host. I am joined, of course, by my lovely co-host, Caitlin. Howdy. And we have three fantastic guests to talk all things 1999. We have Stacy, Forrest, and Katie joining us this evening. Katie, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing well, Ryan. 1999. I was a mere youth then, but much has changed. And then still not much. <laughs> right. Time is unforgiving in that way. Forrest, how are you doing this evening? Wrath of Khan. First contact. Nah. Uh, Voyage Home, uh, the first of the reboots, the third of the reboots, uh, Search for Spock, uh, Galaxy (laughs) Quest. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Search for Spock is better. Bold. Top seven. Bold choices, sir. Top seven. (laughs) Above the median. Stacey, do you have have a rebuttal about this? I mean, I I was going to save this for the end, but like, if we want to get on in it. I'm not going to parse the, you know, the the ranking. I mean, it's tough, man. Picking your favorite Star Trek movie, that's like picking a favorite family member. Like, I can't, I can't be called out on the carpet like this. I mean, it's <laughs> Wrath tough. of Khan. Wrath of Khan is very strong. I'm not gonna lie. Beyond, Beyond or Galaxy Quest. Like, those are my, th- those are my top three. But I like, mean, Beyond those, Galaxy I Quest. I this like, with, as, as a teenager, Ryan hmm. burned through like three separate VHS Two. tapes of Galaxy oh. Quest. Two. Yeah, and like, and the funny thing is, is that in all of those viewings of Galaxy Quest, he never thought, hey, maybe I should watch the thing this is based on. <laughs> and then 20 years later, he was like, oh, I, I watched the thing this is based on, and now I have a whole new appreciation for it. Yes. Galaxy Quest is, I would venture out to say, probably one of the most pure, authentic, perfect movies on execution on theme. Mm. Like, it's the sounds strong, a little yeah. dodgy. The sounds a little dodgy. The editing's okay. The cinematography is doing some things, but like, it's not winning any Oscars, but like, as a film distilled into its perfect, this is what we envisioned. This is what we got. I think it's a perfect film. Like, I can't, I can't really think of many others that hit that. That sweet spot. You're taking the hot take on a Star Trek podcast that Galaxy Quest is good, is what you're telling me. Yeah, right. Right. It, it is. It's very it good. It qualifies as a hoot from a technical standpoint. It is quite, quite fun. I just I just can't help but feel like the only thing that would make me like really lock it into the top three is if we somehow got the sliders remote and slipped into the reality where the TOS cast <laughs> had actually played the roles in the film like that would have been no amazing in a universe where there's a better version of shatner who would have actually been in on the joke and played with his own image yeah that could have been great well, but 
as it stands, so, real, so real comedy good. is hard. Comedy and is hard. I think part of part of what makes this work mm. is that it's so tongue in cheek, and like you you understand that Tim Allen is doing a riff on Shatner, Rickman is doing a riff on Nimoy. Like you you mm-hmm. understand all of yes, that, yes, like without having Nimoy be there. You the know, one without one. having Shatner mm-hmm, be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, fair, fair. Tim Allen is doing half Tim Allen, half William Shatner throughout this whole thing, and right. it's perfect. He's perfect as Jason Nesmith. Right. I mean, it's just, it's the role he was born to play, baby. <laughs> just this <laughs> egomaniacal monster. I would say it's probably his best role. Like, I yeah. mean, even considering, even considering Buzz Lightyear. Which I mean, I'm like, not saying it was fueled by a little bit of cocaine, but there was I mean, clearly something involved. <laughs> Look, I feel that Road Hogs is um, vastly underappreciated. Um, oh, gross. <laughs> gross. What, what I, what I love so much, like, is from those, the 80, you know, the, the television show is set in the 80s. And I just love so yeah, much that's... that, uh, the mullet, the Star Trek oh, Enterprise God, took inspiration from uh, Tim Allen's portrayal in this to model Vulcan hairstyles after <laughs> yep. uh, after the commander. <laughs> like Tapau <laughs> is it's clearly emulating that same look and it, in Enterprise, and it makes me really happy. So let's let's get a quick breakdown of the cast here because this is. All Star heavy hitters. Started. Everybody's doing their best. Oh, best so work. good. So we've got Tim Allen playing Jason Nesmith, uh, William Shatner, Commander Taggart. Just kind of an amalgamation of all these different characters. We've got Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Gosh, Alan I, I, Rickman. I, I, I dare you. Put some respect Put on some the name. Respect on yes, name. Alan Rickman. <laughs> the, the, the best of the best. Um, oh, the goat. Playing by Grabthar's Hammer. Yeah, he by Grabthar's Hammer. He is playing Tech Sergeant no, he's not playing Tech Sergeant. He's playing Doctor Lazarus, Lazarus of Tev. Doctor Lazarus, there it is, there it is. I'm just blanking tonight. And then we have the lovely, lovely Sigourney Weaver of Sigourney. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver as Lieutenant Tawny Madison or Gwen DeMarco as the actress. Tony Shalhoub as Tech Sergeant Chen. <laughs> Sam Rockwell as Guy, which is a joke in itself, which is perfect. <laughs> it's just like the, the entire cast in this movie is great. You also get, you know, Justin Long in his first film role. You get uh, Ryan Wilson, pre The Office. Rain Wilson. Rain, Rain. Or Rain Wilson, pre The Office and pre his appearance in an actual Star Trek. I mean, Enrico Colantoni. Yeah. Yeah, oh my god, work. shut it's it down. Just, yeah, he's great too. Like, everybody in this cast is just, they understood the assignment, they read it, mm-hmm. they, they were so, so dialed in. I think what makes this cast lovely is that you can tell that they all didn't want to do the punch down thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, to, to the, these characters, especially these kind of, you know, they, they're wash-up actors, largely. And they're doing, you know, car dealership openings, and they're doing mall ribbon cuttings. And it's kind of a sad life, but they're not playing these people as pathetic. And, you know, they, they're people that haven't necessarily lost hope in the world around them. And the joke is not, you know, to, to make them feel bad. And the same goes for the way the fans are treated mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Oh, yes. Um, there's there's it's there are jokes and it definitely plays at some of the the extremes of fandom and mm-hmm. all of that but by the end of the movie it's like well no all of that was useful mm-hmm. all right. of that was very useful and not only was it useful you have uh Jason Nesmith 
acknowledging like Justin Long's kid character enough to remember him from the beginning yeah. of the movie when he was pretending to really not acknowledge him at all, showing that the whole time he actually cared what that kid thought, which mm-hmm. I thought was like rewatching as an adult and watching how especially like celebrities or even just adults interact with younger people. Um, that was really validating to like see just, you know, that, that, that was treated with respect that like this knowledge you carry means something. Well, that's funny. I was going to say a very similar thing to Caitlin, like that connection where, yeah, he remembers kind of what Justin was rambling about that, that makes you think about like times you've met your favorite actors at a con and then wondering like, oh, I'm sure that person forgot about me and maybe they did, but there's also a very real reality that if they're at all connected they probably have some memory or something triggers that and you do have that connection to that person and that kind of took the silliness of watching them at a con and doing all those extreme like costuming and all just the fun stuff but it kind of just validated it like caitlin said i just wanted to reiterate that but that was a cool cool thing that they did here yeah there's there's one point early on in the movie where tim allen jason Nesbitt is in the bathroom and he hears some like guys like shit talking like overhearing it and right. stuff like mm-hmm. that yeah. it is also they, they do they do play a joke at the beginning when he walks into the bathroom and there's like a klingon at the <laughs> urinal <laughs> and like it's just like all of these guys in like really elaborate costumes all just trying to pee and like that is really like the only instance of like punching down but in that case, I don't think it's punching down. It's it's folks of a yeah. lower like social caste <clears throat> punching up at someone they consider to be you know more interesting than them, and they've got to have mm. that insecurity about it and yeah. say, well, you know, even though yeah. they're the ones here paying money to see these people, like we're still better than those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and and even that serves to punch it, you know, uh, Tim Allen's character because you know the next couple scenes after that is him being grumpy and then. Him drinking Jameson on the rocks without any pants on. Uh, so, like, yeah. <laughs> like that whole bit sets up the Shatner's get a life thing from uh, from yeah. SNL, basically, where Nesbitt right. just goes with a stupid, dumb TV show and my life is sad. But I think with those with those guys, like my take on it was when I first saw it was like, oh, these are obviously some people that either snuck their way in or scalped a ticket or something. And they're just there to, you know look at the quote-unquote freaks uh, who are into this kind of stuff. Because every other interpretation of the fandom across this movie is just so respectful and so wonderfully warm and nice. So that's that's just from my... See, and I, I think it, it, for me it played a little... For me it played a little to a lot of the... the not hostility towards women that exists in sci-fi fandom, but like, mm-hmm. you know essentially that attitude of like let's go check out the cosplay girls like let's go let's mm. go hook up that's like probably the only like instance of negative association of fandom in the movie but like it serves the character and honestly like rose colored glasses off like fandom is not perfect <laughs> Oh, fandom no. kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> no, no. So, yep, yep, yep. you know, even even having that in and acknowledging that before the abduction of Tim Allen, before, you know, they, they actually go into mm-hmm. space and things like that, I think yeah, definitely te- serves a purpose. Yeah, it tees up the, oh, yeah, well, here's a whole society that took that show and used it as a template to build their own utopian society. 
and were so grateful <laughs> they came back to find the people that they watched in the show. Yep. So no, amazing. Amazing. document. I think the, the, the thing I love about yep. <laughs> historical documents, I, I love that when they're at the con and it's, again, this movie is, is so wonderfully constructed and everything, it's just like it, it sets it up and it pays it off, where you see the clip of the previously lost, unaired two-parter, haha, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a secret two-star two-track, <laughs> the, the Omega problem, the Omega 13, the Omega 13, and they they never show the second half of it, so the cast <laughs> doesn't actually know what the device does. When again in real life, when they're you know when they encounter it, they still don't know what it does no because idea. they never got the scripts. Right, mm-hmm. and it's just, it was supposed to be the season four opener, and right. they never made season four. They never had a season four. <laughs> And yeah. I just, I love that. I love that it's a secret two-star true track, and that, like, we never learned what the dumb MacGuffin was in in the show, but, like, because, you know, the aliens have, have seen so much of it, and they've decided what it meant, and they interpreted it, mm-hmm. interpreted the media for themselves, they were able to basically create, like, a Genesis device? I'm not really sure. <laughs> right. A mini time machine. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. And I, I think it doesn't, this movie doesn't work as soon as you start like trying to dissect like well how did they how did they create the the matter device and like doesn't fucking matter like it's the it's you're grand hitting the i mean it, it effectively is yeah it is yeah. the macguffin device yeah. I mean, right it's, it's essentially what it is it's it's grandpa from the princess bride yes you're very smart now shut up <laughs> yeah <laughs> and enjoy the story it, <laughs> It it goes against the spirit of the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I think that's that's ultimately when when people talk about things like that, like oh well, where did they get this and where did they get that? I like mean, it doesn't matter. The thing the aliens learned by watching all the historical documents was that everything exactly. kind of came out okay in the end, and yeah. so you've gotta you've gotta have the omega thirteen is something that makes it all okay in the end. Yeah, the beauty of it is they they had two things that they could work from. It either destroyed the universe or it rewound time for thirteen seconds, and they gambled. <laughs> and yeah. that's what they came up with. They they also learned that Gilligan's Island is a great tragedy. Oh, so. oh. <laughs> those poor people. <laughs> It's also God. There are so many good jokes in this. Uh, so yeah, amazing. and then after the beginning convention mm-hmm. where Tim Allen blows off Justin, mm-hmm. he gets abducted. Whoa. But like he thinks, he thinks he's like still on Earth, and he's like a little hungover on like a set, a and he's like he thinks he's on a yeah, he thinks he's on a mm-hmm. set, and. I my favorite part about that entire sequence is that he's got like the Coke can. And he throws it at the ensign, and he's just like, yeah, shove that in the torpedo tube, like, you know, throw that at mm-hmm. a killer. It's like, ah, this entire movie's so good. And that's actually, like, the one bit of, like, glowing cinematography in this movie, because I've seen this movie way too many times to count. When they put him in the goo pod and shoot him through the black <laughs> hole to get him back to Earth... That's when it does the aspect ratio change. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And it goes from like 16.9 to like ultra wide as soon as like the the bay doors open or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And like there's just so much love is put into this like tiny little, you know, 40 million budget dollar movie that would not get made today at mm-hmm. all because, oh, it's too risky and it's not based on anything. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love this movie so much. And then. So then he he gets back to Earth 
and they decide to bring everybody else up, and then... Well, because everyone else is pretty sure that it's a paying gig. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, and that's he's the just, joke. He's just being a jerk. Right. And everybody, and uh, Sam Rockwell, because he was not a principal <laughs> member of the cast. Yeah, no. yeah he's just this, he was a red uh, shirt. A, he's an ascended extra who's cashing in to the max. Extra number six. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he he was a red shirt. He was like, like later on in the movie, he was like, I died before the first commercial. And I'm the guy like who that. died, so but he's you know exactly to take the situation the kind of- seriously. <laughs> right. right, he's exactly the kind of guy who'd be hanging around like a fan convention like that with his little booth, doing like selfies for five dollars. Mm-hmm. And, like, doing a meetup, you know, with fans where he can, like, you know, get some free drinks and hang out. So Absolutely. So, one thing about, about Guy, about the Sam Rockwell character, that I think is the funniest thing in the world. And it's so subtle because it, tell, it tells a story through design, which is something that I love, is later on in the movie, in the latter half of the second act and in the third act... When everybody's beaten up and their uniforms are getting kind of torn up and, you know, everybody's showing a little more skin. He has his shirt unbuttoned and he has the Galaxy Quest logo as like a steel dog tag (laughs) on a collar. Like he hasn't hasn't on a necklace. Like he's like some straight up gangster with it. And it's just like that one extra that like took it so seriously and loved to be there. And like, he was wearing that under his shirt and his uniform for the entire movie and nobody ever addresses it. Nobody points it out. It's just a lovely little piece of design that like tells you everything you need to know about the character, which is Mm -hmm. just great. Well, and the cost, the costuming is so great overall in this with the, just the various in jokes of, Shat- no, not Shatner. Tim Allen's shirt getting ripped constantly, and, and they making reference mm-hmm. to that. You know, Sigourney Weaver's um, more exposed throughout this film. We shall say mm-hmm. she's completely zipped up at the top, and at the end, the zipper's gone. Well, well I think I famously I think her chest at the end is a prosthetic. Yes, is it really? Mm. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, and she, because she, she didn't have like the chesticles to 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 fill it out, so they gave her a false like <laughs> I you know Singh mm-hmm. chest, <laughs> and they were like, all right, and so like after they were done filming the for the day, she would like wander around and be like, ooh, look, look how at my sexy titties. I am. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it's mm-hmm. also like back mm-hmm. to that thing about like character when she is talking to everybody in the green room at the con she's like at her my chin. tv guide interview yeah was just about you know my boobs and if they fit into my suit like how did that happen and then by the end of the movie like they're out and like it's just she doesn't care about the you know what what has been enforced on her and things like that she's not trying to I like that she owns that she just copies what the computer says. Oh god, that's the one lousy job on the ship. Right. (laughs) No, 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 I was just gonna say, it's a Star Trek show, so like, (laughs) of course there's gonna be a scene in a conference room with like a really long table. Yeah, for no reason. Right! (laughs) So good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, so what's great about the Thermians is that, you know, They've recreated everything, and they treat Gwen no differently than any other member mm-hmm. of the crew. I mean, she's, she was very obviously cast, Gwen DeMarco, as the eye candy of the show, mm-hmm. but the Thermians mm-hmm. don't care. They're so excited to have her there, and they treat her with the utmost respect. That's what mm-hmm. I love about 
like they're such uber fans they're so happy to have them there it's great yeah and mm-hmm. so i want to rewind and talk about the one thing with when god this movie is so perfect when they all beam onto the ship and everybody gets like tentacle growth yeah. <laughs> except for Tony Shalhoub because like he was like getting a soda he's gonna when everybody, yeah. like, teleport. he's always <laughs> eating right. he's Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven in this movie well, he's always so eating he's, the reason Tony Shalhoub is always eating in the movie because this is remember this is pre-Brad Pitt in Ocean's is that to to keep the family friendly rating he was not allowed to be overtly a stoner mm. Mm. Because that's why he's so relaxed through the whole thing, is that Tony Shalhoub played it as if his character were just deeply stoned for the entire movie. And, and he was works. like, yes, I'm just rolling with this. This is just happening. And so therefore he's always snacking. And he's always just kind of cool with everything that's going on. I want yeah. I want to see the R-rated cut of this movie. Like, so badly. I want right. the R-cut. I want the kink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. So, yeah, there's that great moment. There's uh, the moment where they do the riff on the motion picture, where they do, like, yeah. all the sexy shots of the ship with the soundtrack just, and then like, they, going. they they scrape it out of the space talk. God, yeah. this movie is just so yeah. good. <laughs> and then let's let's not forget, we got to talk about um, Ceres. Ceres, yeah. All of, like, the general and the aliens mm-hmm. and, like, the the... Because this is like pre CGI everything. Like this is these are guys with like a bunch of shit on Perfect. their face. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's like it's largely practical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it mm-hmm. just it looks so good the way it moves, the way his like weird little top knot mm-hmm. thing twitches. I like it when mm-hmm. he gets angry and his like little wings shoot out. Like ugh, the design on this movie, I I can just go on. So I'm gonna it's- stop. Well, so I, great. no, it's it's really good. And it was, you know, it was nice to see uh, the inspiration they drew from Kevin Spacey on that one. <laughs> Delightful. Yeah, Cyrus, Cyrus is great. I think he's a he's a good villain. Mm-hmm. I like that he he understands the lie like yeah. instantly oh, yeah. as soon as they show it. Yeah, he picks it like, up. Yeah. <sighs> I can just go on about this movie yeah. so much. And when he interrog- it adds, it adds when so he- much depth to the movie. Yeah, it adds so much depth to the movie when, like, you know, you realize that Saris understands that this lie and the concept of lying and that these people have been lied to, even mm-hmm. if by omission, is more painful mm-hmm. than really, like, the extermination of their planet. Absolutely. And holy shit, it's true! You feel bad! When he drags Nesbitt into the interrogation chamber with uh, Malthazar there, and he just looks at Nesbitt and goes, explain it as you would to a child. And it's just like, it's like you're literally seeing a parent explaining to a child that Santa Claus isn't real. And you just watch as Malthazar's heart breaks. Yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus isn't real? Steve. No, no, he's, he's totally, he's totally real in the hearts and minds and souls of all children. Santa Claus is real. And <laughs> Nesbitt proves the lie of that because he becomes the commander. He becomes the character he was meant to be and proceeds to kick Saris's ass. A thing you need yeah. to remember, Saris, <laughs> is my ship's dragging minds. <laughs> like, Jesus like, Christ. It's oh, so one of the most baller moves in the movie. <laughs> Well, and it's it's just like Caitlin said. It's all it's all set up. I mean, in that, chaos. that whole that whole thing is like, like 
the, the Picard maneuver, like, on all of the drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, there's, this is, I'm not gonna date myself on this or anything like that, but <laughs> there's this tiny little MMO that came out about ten years ago called Star Wars The Old Republic. And you one thing that's cool about that game okay. is after you get to, like, level 15, 17, 18, somewhere in there, you get your own ship. And Whoa. you can do, like, Star Fox-style, like, flying missions. And one of them is immediately you have to fly through a minefield without, like, detonating all of the mines. And I booted it up, and I was like, oh, so this is Galaxy Quest. I know exactly how this mission <laughs> is going to end. <laughs> and sure as shit, that is exactly how that mission ends. Well, and they, they even do the – and it's funny because we just came off a couple weeks ago doing Wrath of Khan where they do the thing with the staticky screen – Right, trying mm-hmm. to find each other, and I like, and it's just coming so freshly off of that. I was like, ah, <laughs> I was doing the Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. Yeah, I mean this this movie just it hits on everything so so well. Forrest, mm-hmm. you said your favorite part of this movie though is is a little dusty and a little dirty. Uh, yeah, smells okay. Um, no, yeah, the the <laughs> the best part. I love the away mission, like, and it's such a perfect callback. <laughs> To every Star Trek episode that has an away mission, right? Every Star Trek episode where we're beaming down or we're jetting down the planet. Um, this, this predates Enterprise with the shuttles. So good on, good on them for, for getting that. But it is so fun to have them bickering in the shuttlecraft, to have the mental breakdown, to have Tony Shaloub eating his little snack pack. On the way down with the breadsticks like and the cheese, pretzels. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then to you know, like every box is so perfectly checked. Abandoned mine, bad puns, a plan that goes awry. Like it is so perfectly orchestrated, um, all the way down, to, all the way until the end when they digitize them back up. It is just. It is just such a fun set piece, and it is it is a great, uh, you know, everyone involved in that clearly had love for Star Trek because it comes off as, like, a perfect Star Trek away mission. Absolutely. I also like Rain Wilson during the, the digitizing scene. Like, he is just, he is cool as a cucumber throughout that entire sequence, right? Because he's, he's just like, oh... The animal is inside out, and then <laughs> and then it exploded. Then it like exploded. he is, he is so perfect. I mean, that's the reason we have such a hard time, like keeping track of all the names in this movie, is because ultimately you have to be like Sam Allen, Alan Rickman, <laughs> like. Yeah, it's it's impossible. Yeah, because yeah, because they're all it's all wrapped up in like their multifaceted multi-characters and it's so it is so fun and integrated because it's just it's just so fun they're all having like so much fun with it and that's something that like this is probably when you read the you know the cast thoughts and all that kind of stuff everyone liked each other like people came out of this complimenting tim allen like they were like yeah "Yeah, it was great (laughs) it was great to work with him Alan Rickman in this movie. Can we talk about that for a second? He's so good. There's that one scene at the very beginning of the movie where him and Sigourney Weaver 
are talking on the phone and like he's just in his apartment and he's wearing yep, the yep. prosthetic like <laughs> in his apartment yeah like oh well because like, he's not a makeup guy anymore it's just him yeah. and that well and that was that was rickman's like personal note that he gave during the design process is he wanted something that was believable to be on his head for the entirety of the film so that they would believe he looked like that in real life, but, like, shitty enough that you, like, as the audience, you see the seams. <laughs> this is something that, like, a guy can put on in, like, a green room 20 minutes before he has to be on the stage. Absolutely. Love him. Like Rapthos Hammer, the sons of Warven, you shall be avenged. Love it. And the fact that he's, like, initially, he hates it. Absolutely hates it. But when Quellick is dying in his arms, he says it and just lets the guy go out on a moment of joy before he immediately starts kicking ass. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's incredible. He's this actor who would rather be doing Shakespeare. He wants to do things that move mm -hmm. people. And in that moment, this is this is something that this this person has shaped their entire life around. It's so profound to him, to this one guy. And, like, that makes the whole mm -hmm. performance worth it, because for this one guy, it was so profound, he took it to his grave. What's more Shakespearean than plotting an entire moment around a single man? Nothing. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And a tragic Absolutely. death. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's great. The big tragedy, the, like, <laughs> the whole hero's journey, yeah, just complete and total. Yeah, roll of a lifetime. Because the whole bit where he like bursts into the dressing room and it's just like he played Richard III, you know. There were five curtain calls, and he's Sir Alexander Dane, so he has oh, clearly man. been knighted. He got knighted. Like he <laughs> he got knighted, and he's playing this goofy alien, and he hates it. He hates it so much. There's that one part where that they're at they're they're at the car dealership, and he has to say by Grabthar's hammer. <laughs> What a savings. And the contempt in Alan Rickman's voice is so thick and rich, you could drizzle it over pancakes. It's amazing. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and so like much. Sigourney Weaver has to like elbow him. Oh, yeah. And like turn like, it on. It's it's that's why they pay us. Yeah, that's why they pay us. You have to say the thing, but we all need to get paid here today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, think, I think it's so good. Loves but, yeah. to hate it, though. Like, if you hate it, why are you wearing it in your, your little hat as a security blanket mm. in your apartment, ranting and raving still about the show. Yeah. You don't hate it. You love it to hate it. <laughs> he protests he protests too much, methinks. Yeah. So not to to put a sour note on this, when Rickman passed, you know, obviously mm -hmm. a lot of people were sad and, and devastated. Well, there had been talk for many that. years leading up to his his sudden and, and yeah, unforeseen death that that there would be a sequel or an like an Amazon TV series, like something right. to mm -hmm. revive it. And <laughs> after Rickman's passing, you know, everyone, everyone very rightfully so was like, we can't do this Ooh. without him, except Tim Allen probably. for Tim Allen. Yeah, I'm sure. Who well, went on the yeah. record multiple times saying, well, we can still figure out a way to make it work. Wow. And everyone else had to be like, we're, we're obviously not going to make this work. Like, it doesn't well, work I was going to say, Rickman. our local theater, that was the movie they picked for the memorial screening. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, our um, Alamo Draft House. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, they always do whenever, like, when Prince died, they, they got Purple Rain and played that, but, like, when Rickman died, they, oh, they picked out of his entire filmography, <laughs> they picked Galaxy Quest, <laughs> and, like, 
It is. I mean, what would you pick for? I guess they also yeah. programmed that weekend the the Robin Hood movie he was in. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm, Prince yeah. of Thieves. Yeah. But I think he's good in Prince of Thieves too. Yeah. Yeah, but this is actually kind of an interesting. Like, it's rare that we get to see Rickman, who's so good at playing villains. I mean, he plays perhaps right. one of the greatest Christmas villains of all time in Hans Gruber and Die Hard. <laughs> so. Yes. And he actually does cancel Christmas in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which <laughs> I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to go out there and say it a little underrated, a little underrated. Like, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Kevin Costner is a broom, but everything I want around him is is gold, particularly yeah. Rickman. So getting to see him in a heroic role in an, in an adventurous kind of swashbuckling role and also kind of being the like. He actually gets to be the funny one, but the dry funny one, because he's constantly right. like dealing with Taggart with like Nesmith's shit. And like he's the one who's like when he gets there and like Nesmith's like, oh, this will be fine. Well, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. He's the one constantly going like we're actors. We're not we're not the character. We're not supposed to be <laughs> here. Understand. Right. Yeah. We're, we, we're not qualified. Yeah. And it's just in between him and Gwen DeMarco trying to constantly rein in Nesbitt and his enthusiasm, like, it's amazing. I, I absolutely adore Rickman. Well, and 100%. 110. Sigourney Weaver here is also, like, killing it. Like, let's be honest, because oh. not only, you know, we talked earlier mm-hmm. about, like, the, oh, I have one job on this ship, repeating the commander and things like that. Like, you also have to remember that out of all of them, she's the one with, like, the sci-fi royalty. Like, freaking Ripley, like... Yeah, and for playing a character that is a complete 180 from any of Gwen DeMarco. So it shows right. her having a real sense of humor about it <laughs> to go, okay, I'll go from playing Ellen Ripley, the badass's badass, to Gwen DeMarco, the bridge bunny of <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like, And I'll even do, like, the wild. blonde wig and everything like that. Like, I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she's killing it here, too. And, I mean, I just... I can't think of a single person in this movie that is is not at their peak. We talked about Sam Rockwell earlier. Mm. We talked about Tony Shalhoub. Like, everybody in this movie is so good. There's, you know, not Will Wheaton. Yeah, not <laughs> Will Wheaton. He's good, too. Tommy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. good. I love the, the little sequence of him sitting at the console and remembering that as a child, to entertain himself when they did shoots, like... He would be like, oh, I always thought that this did this, and that was why I would always do this motion. And, like, that's actually mm-hmm. something that a lot of Star Trek actors have said. That, like, um, I know Garrett Wang has said it, where he's been like, yeah, you know, like, you, you spend so much time at your console that you just start using the same motions over and over and over again, Keeping because, goofing. like, it has to mean something. Right. Like, you have to be doing the job, right? And, uh, yeah, I know... Um, they when they did, were doing the Force Awakens because Mark Hamill is not in that movie, right? Oscar Isaac had to watch footage from A New Hope: Empire Strikes Back constantly to see the order in which Luke Skywalker turns on the X-wing. Mm. Yeah, so he can make sure ah, that ah. he can repeat how to turn on an X-wing, yep. mm-hmm. and like that, yep. like that is beat for beat from this movie. Like in yep. the third act, it's like. Tommy, what am I going to do? And it's like, you, you have to go learn, learn how to drive. Fly. And then, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And he's sitting in like this weird curated museum thing, just like watching old mm-hmm. reruns. And the historical to the metal. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone else and, is adventuring. <laughs> 
And he's, like, getting into it. Like, I like that he's, like, doing, like, the leaning thing. Because everybody knows if you need to make a really sharp turn in Mario Kart, if you lean... Mm-hmm. It's always going to work better. You've got to 100%. lean as you turn right. a controller. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, he's science. taking that All to facts. the next level when he's doing the mines thing. Like, ah, oh, gosh. This movie is, is so good when they're rolling the, the beryllium sphere... Um, the digitizing sequence. I could just, I can go on about this movie forever. I have seen it probably close to 300 times. So, Mm -hmm. the, uh, there is a, I think there's a little Star Wars in this too. Like, it's not, this isn't just a Star Trek thing, but Mm -hmm. especially like the, the gunfight with the chompers and the narrow corridors and stuff. That feels very, Luke and Leia uh, running away from the stormtroopers. Well, even um, the big thing that is fighting them in the middle, or is fighting Tamalin in the middle of the ring, that felt Star Wars. He just the character, yeah, the yeah. character of the pig it itself, it felt very, very much Tatooine or any other similar planet. Mm-hmm. I like it when he punches the pig. Yes, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a Shatner move. Like he doesn't do like the double arm bar. But, like, he punches close. the pig. I love the double <laughs> Next time I'm in a bar fight, I'm going for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm committed. Seriously, absolutely. Also, for for big Kirk energy, like, you know, never give up, never surrender, is, like, such, like, big Kobayashi mm-hmm. Maru energy. <laughs> well, and it's such a good tagline, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, Kirk doesn't really have, like... You I know, definitely I guess, want to never give up, never surrender tattoo. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, like Spock I mean, has live long hmm. and prosper, you know, and then later on they make it a thing, you know, where like Patrick Stewart, like engage and, you know, you've got Anson Mount, like so. punch it. Like, yeah, make it so like you have like catchphrases to an extent. But, like, Anson Mount says, punch it, and then I black out for several seconds. <laughs> right. And then I wake up, and I'm like, oh. Committing to I, the role. The, punch it again. This, where did the steak dinner come from? Sorry, right. sorry. Father. Like, and and no. never give up, never surrender is such, uh, it's such a perfect, like, tagline, catchphrase. Mm-hmm. It really encompasses, like, the themes and the ideals. It's so good. And then, like, to have it repeated on a satirical level from the Thermians as well, when, like, they do, like, the salute. Like, the salute is so good. It oh, is. the salute is so funny. Mm-hmm. So good. So, yeah. I like how they, like, preface everything with, like, the little, like, the little, like, hums and, yes. Like, yeah, they're, uh, the Thermians are great. Uh, and then, you know, yeah. we have the engineering Thermian. Yes. Who comes back mm-hmm. after... Falling in love yeah. with Tony Schlub, like. <laughs> yeah, Laliari. Yeah, Jane Doe. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, played yeah. by Missy Pyle. Yeah, yeah. Jane Doe is is how she's credited <laughs> at yeah. the end. Apparently, she was originally little more than than a glorified extra, but then she she just nailed her her presence so hard that they like fleshed out her entire <laughs> character during the course of production. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I mean, like, when you when you get somebody that nails it so well, you know, like, it's it's perfect and it's great. And of course you have to put it in your movie, you know? And that's the other thing that I really, really love about this movie. This movie is not quite a tight 90. Uh, I, I think, think it's, it's like 11. It's like 102, one, yeah. 105, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. But, like, 
It's not like a three-hour slog. Forrest, I think you said it earlier, it's it's almost the length of, like, a normal Star Trek you, episode. You get a Star Trek episode after out of this, yeah. after all the, like, the precursors set up and stuff. I And it'd be interesting to actually go back and look at the timing, but I wonder from, like, the point where they all get on the star on the ship, how long that is. I'm guessing it's I'm, I'm guessing it's a, a little over an hour, but it's like you know, it's almost like its mm. own feature length episode of Star about Trek. about eighty yeah. minutes. Yeah, about <laughs> yeah. eighty minutes. Yeah, yeah. About, yeah. yeah. It perfect. does feel like the convention is the framing device, and the actual action of the movie is the episode. Yes. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Well, Let's circle back around to the um, the finale, I guess, where they have to eject. Like, they even do the saucer separation, guys. They have a saucer separation <laughs> in this fucking movie. It's great. And it's they, great. they, like, shoot it, and it, like, they have to land it, and it, like, crashes into the convention center and everything like that. Yep. And... Justin Long is like, oh yeah, like <laughs> I love it when he explains it to his parents. And they're <laughs> like, did you take out the trash? And he's like, oh yeah, like it's just oh, such God. And then he's like, bolt, <laughs> right? And like my favorite is like, well, you know, they they got supercharged coming out of the black hole, and you know they hit the atmosphere going at like Mark ten. You guys know that's pretty fast, like. He's just so cool and, like, ready, like, oh, my entire life has led up to this moment. <laughs> And that's why I have two arms. I love all of his buddies. I love well, all it's, of his it's, buddies it's the most who, like, all have their thing. own oh. knowledge, too, that they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And yes. they're like, oh, yeah, I've got these schematics, and I've got, like, this thing I know about. Oh, yeah, you're our nacelles guy. Like, let's get the <laughs> nacelles guy out of here. <laughs> yeah. The, the the I mean it's it's the lower deckers mm-hmm. like they're on mm-hmm. they're on Earth but they're the lower deckers like oh, yeah. this movie's so good that's exactly it who is. they are Rutherford whole... Rutherford would fit right they in with those guys. oh he'd love he... it okie dokie like uh, yeah and the whole bit where like Justin Long is like hey Mr Nesmith I wanted you to know that I'm not a complete like case. I know that this isn't actually real. The whole and then says it's all real. And he's like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like, that, that moment is just was what so every funny. fan has wanted to hear. Right. Oh, well, and at that moment, so especially good. because about what, like 10 years later, there was a moment like that on Supernatural, which got memed to death, which was the Becky, it's all <laughs> real from Supernatural. And I'm like, no, it was Justin Long. Justin Long birthed to that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Big right. You put respect on the name. <laughs> Justin right. Long, sir. Well, and I mean, like, you joke about the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen yeah. moment. Like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like the the nerd just like, I got it. Like, I knew. I knew, I knew, I knew. Mm-hmm. Like, deep down, I knew. <laughs> like, how many of us would like to get yeah. that phone call? Like, your phone's ringing and it's like, this is Jean-Luc mm-hmm. Picard. And it's like, oh, hi, Sir Patrick. And he goes, mm-hmm. no. This is John no. Luke, and you're just, oh, okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. How many of us have, have walked down a street at night waiting or waiting for the bus, and you, you wish you could hear the sounds of the TARDIS materializing right? because right. you've been waiting for that call your entire life. Right. Like, <laughs> just ready to go. Yeah. It's definitely got, like, a little bit of wish fulfillment in it, of course, but, like, I think because it comes across so genuine that, mm-hmm. like, not only, I think it's important that not only Brandon 
the character played by Justin Long buys it. But it's also, you know, the arc of Jason Nesmith, you know, because he growing into that leader that he needed to be all along. And the thing is, he always had people that wanted to believe in him. And he needed to get there to be able to, like, be be that leader and to, like, grow into his most perfect form. Right. Because even in the first act at the convention, when Sigourney and Alan Rickman are sitting at the table signing autographs, at one point, she looks over at him and she goes, you have to admit, he really does love it. Like, you know, the fans love him, too. Because it was like when he's explaining, like, oh, well, my crew was in danger. Of course I knew what to save him. I'm the command. Like... It's his arc is so good, mm-hmm. even though it's Tim Allen. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but still so good. Yeah, the last couple things I want to touch <laughs> on before we get the, uh, to the finish line on this: the scene with the chompers. We did kind of <laughs> talk about it, Look, but it's, why is this here? <laughs> right? It's there's also uh, one of cinema history's most notoriously poorly edited F-bombs in that scene. Because <laughs> ah, Sigourney Weaver was pissed that they wanted to make it way more family-friendly, and she was like, well, I'm going to do the worst ADR of all time. <laughs> right, and so, like, you can you can fun. watch her mouth. Yeah, you can watch her mouth, mm-hmm. and she says, well, fuck this. Mm-hmm. And they obviously, like, had to go in and edit it, and I mean, this, this is probably one of the most notorious examples of ADR Mm-hmm. Uh, in cinema, she, I would like, say every take was bad. Oh, every yeah. tape was like horribly timed, and they could they, they just used what they could because they had to get the movie out. Good right. for her. Um, yeah, I like right? it. What a queen! I like it. She understands the motivation. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I also like it when they finally get to the button to stop it, and it's, it's like they press it. And, oh, oh, it always stops at one on the show. Like <laughs> it's such a stupid joke because, like, you have to think at some point there's like a Thermian programmer that doesn't even consider that it needs to stop when the button is pressed. Right. It's just oh, they always it always stops at one. I have to imagine that when our our good friend uh, when David Howard and Robert Gordon wrote that scene, they had to have given themselves a high five because that it's amazing. Well, and I think that's like one of the few scenes that like even transcends Star Trek because I mean that that mm-hmm. was you know that's a that's a Mission Impossible trope that is a, a James Bond trope. Weapon. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Star like, Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, Lethal Weapon, like it, anything where there is a timer that needs to be stopped, it always stops at one, right? And to to have that manifest as a point of comedy instead of a point of tension is just hilarious and well done. 10 out of 10, no notes, A+. plus. You can't recreate that ever again without somebody going, oh, that's mm-hmm. from Galaxy Quest. You stole it. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I think that about wraps it up. We we touched on a lot because this movie is is great and perfect and we love it. Caitlin, did you have any closing thoughts on Galaxy Quest? You know, the thing that I, I appreciate about this movie is that, like we've talked about through this entire thing, a lot of what's done in the movie is done with love and not making fun of the idea that people love these things, but instead taking it just to that next level right? Uh, for comedy purposes. And 
there's I, I don't know if someone's already brought it up, but there's this really lovely little anecdote that Patrick Stewart tells where Jonathan Frakes, you know, calls him out of the blue and he's like, Patrick, have you seen Galaxy Quest? And he goes, no, you know, I, I just don't have the stomach for it. I, I don't want to feel bad about myself. And he goes, no, he's go go to a theater, the most packed screening you can find. And so he goes and he realized that everyone just loves it so much <laughs> and that they they love Star Trek and that they love the ideas that these things bring. And he, he thought it was a delightful experience. And I'm, I, I always just love that story that he, he gave it a shot and he, he himself loves it as well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. My favorite cast reaction by far is Brent Spiner famously has said, I believe it was in that... Uh, <laughs> Never Give Up, Never Surrender documentary that was put out by Screen Junkies a couple years ago. He said, yeah, we got like 10 minutes into the movie and I just paused it, turned and looked at Michael Dorn and said, why the hell weren't we doing this? <laughs> so like, yeah, everybody's in on it. And it's a great joke. Stacy, did you have any quick closing thoughts? I mean, uh, a couple quick shout outs just because one for one, the design of the NSEA protector is really yes. cool. Mm-hmm. Like it's a as cool spaceship designs go, it is. It literally is. It's the it's the it's the Chevron. Yeah. Basically, if you really mm-hmm. think about it, it's a it's a slight variation on the classic Star Trek Chevron. Like it's it's freaking cool. It's cool as hell. I love the design. I love the the clunkiness of like the the internal like the Thermians going and doing everything, building the Omega thirteen, all that stuff. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, one as a Canadian, want to give a brief shout out to. Kids in the Hall alum Kevin McDonald, who yeah, appears yeah. as the announcer at the convention. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Sir Alexander Dane. He's British. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> it's great. Like he, he he has a wonderful moment where it's just like he he's he's obviously been hired by the venue, has no idea what's going on, but is just happy to be there. I I love it. Like and it's and this movie is just uh, on the off chance that anybody listening here hasn't seen it and has just had us you know blown it up for the past near hour do yourself a favor get it on your streaming get it on get it on blu-ray there's an anniversary edition that recently came out not too long ago on Mm -hmm. blu-ray i would absolutely recommend it have a good time watch it with some friends fellow fans fellow trekkies whatever and just have an amazing time with it yeah great great film katie did you have any closing thoughts no, I just love reflecting kind of on just the nuances that are subtle and some that are less subtle between like costuming and the the gestures, like the salute. Um, I, I enjoy that they even packed a time traveling back 13 seconds in there because it's not Star Trek if we don't do some unnecessary time traveling, um, <laughs> even if it is for 13 seconds. Now, it is a jump back, so it's not the exact same, but we, we will take it. And I just need a shout out because I am who I am. Got to shout out young Tommy as Corbin Blue. So Wildcats in the house, get your head in the game. Nice. Perfect, perfect. Forrest, did you have any closing thoughts? I am still trying to figure out. And the lasting (laughs) big question I have from this film is how, given that the nacelles, this is nacelle talk after dark now, Perhaps. given that the nacelles <laughs> oh, kind of bulge out in the rear of the protector, it's got big, big booty on this ship. We love it. We love to see that. How? It's Anson Mount's ship. I like big ships. Did he scrape the <laughs> nose? <laughs> But not scrape the nacelles on the Stardock. 
like, I'm trying to think of an arrangement. There's, like, some strange, like, <laughs> the booty pulls up and the nose goes front and there's a little scraping. I just just haven't quite figured out how to, how to make that work. I will send you a picture. I know exactly how it works. Thank you. A little downward dog. I will send you a picture. Ben, the, right? Right? The, the easiest way to explain this without a visual aid, because podcasting is an audio medium and not a visual medium, is the Stardock and the ship are operating on different horizons. The, the ship is tilted on the X and the Z, so it is going down in a... That's not parallel. What's the other one? Perpendicular. Perpendicular. Yeah, and it's going perpendicular to the Stardock as it's exiting. Because there is no horizon line in space. That's the easiest way I can think to explain it. I will send you a drawing of it, though. <laughs> because it's, but it's, I do not... It's kind of like low-speed slide. It's like a low-speed drift. If it's still... Right. You know, if the if the <laughs> Z isn't messed up, then, like, the, the Y... And all of these are correct because X, Y, and Z don't matter. Uh, then the right, Y right. is like tilted. Okay, that, and then it's like kind of drifting out of the star dock. That I thank you. That helps. Uh, also, yes. my uh, wonderful assistant, uh, assistant, assistant host, co-host, co hanging yeah, out right in the out office, of the uh, would like to point out that uh, <laughs> Saris's ship looks like the Doomsday Machine. I don't know why it took oh, me like so good. staring oh, at it right yeah. now, but like as Forrest was trying to rectify or not rectify, but reconcile rather the the ship scraping. I saw the ship and I was like, "That's the Doomsday Machine." And then it said Galaxy Quest. I was like, "Oh, that's not," but it's the same. So there's a, just another oh, little yeah. subtle shout out. Love it. Well, um, my favorite thing is it's yeah. got that nice big opening in the center where the fusion reactor is that it can just, like, shoot the mines into. Yes. It really looks like Giorgio's ship. <clears throat> oh, the Shinjo? Yeah. No, 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 no. The, the oh. mirror universe one with oh, the yeah, giant yeah. freaking core in the center. Uh, like, I don't know, man. The, the DNA of this thing, the DNA of Galaxy Quest has just been infused in so many different yep. ways into Trek. Because, like, mm-hmm. even you, you can tell that you know, the modern writers of Trek, Kurtzman and things like that. Like, everybody's seen it. Everybody knows, you know? So that's kind of a cool little aside as well. I think that about wraps it up on Galaxy Quest, though. So thank you guys so much, everybody, for listening. We only have one thing left on this. We're going to probably do a mini series throughout the entirety of 2022 where we cover all of the Star Trek films, except for Wrath of Khan, since we have already covered that. But other than that, until Star Trek continues to do more two-parters, I think this is it from us. So I just want to... Yeah, for a little bit. For a little bit. So I just Mm -hmm. wanted to extend a heartfelt thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Forrest, Katie, Stacy, and of course, you know, our fellow guests that aren't on this episode. You know, Steph, Beres, Sarah, Justin, like... Dylan, everybody who has participated in this, Caitlin has been an amazing co-host, could not have done it without all of us. We are a crew of many. We are all Lower Deckers. I guess that'll be our next, like, big episode. Unless Discovery gets a two-parter, it'll be... Or Strange New Worlds. Or Strange New Worlds will be uh, the the Lower Decks. (laughs) Picard might as well. Yeah. 
Um, hmm. But yeah, Lower Decks oh, yeah, uh, season three premiere will be probably our next episode, unless Prodigy. Oh the, god, they need baby, to bring Prodigy yeah. back. I feel like Discovery's so gonna good. have yeah, yeah. Pro, uh, Discovery, yeah, Discovery will probably we'll get we'll get that itch scratched. Yeah, we'll yeah. get that itch scratched soon. Don't worry about it. But yeah, like like two star we'll two track. We're we're not going anywhere. Uh, we're just gonna kind of slow down from Mark Two instead of. What was it like? Screensaver five that Jason Nesbitt wants to put it on. Like we're just slowing it down a bit. So thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, to be continued. <laughs>